Oh, hey, Jason. Hi, Kate. Why are you packing all your stuff up? I'm packing my stuff up because I'm leaving town. Where are you going? I'm going on tour, actually. Well, that's amazing. Why are you going on tour? Well, there's lots of cool music happening all over North America and I think all over the world. Well, obviously all over the world. And I want to go find it and talk to the people who are making it. That is so cool. Can I help? You can. Uh, You live in New York, so you can't house me really but what you could do is go to the jazzsession.com slash tour and kick in a little bit of money well what are you going to use the money for well i'm going to survive while i'm on tour because of the members of the show people who contribute regularly uh, monthly or yearly but to get around i need a couple of greyhound bus passes that'll cover the first few months of the tour so i'm trying to raise 1100 bucks by the end of may so that i can buy those bus passes and travel around Is there anything in it for me? Well, it's funny you should mention that because at every level, no matter how much money you give from 10 bucks on up, you'll get something in return as a little thank you. From a postcard for me on the road to a tour t-shirt up to free CDs, uh, copies of my poetry book, a copy of my book signed by every musician I interview, and on and on. It's all at thejazzsession.com slash tour. Well, that's awesome. I'm going to go on to thejazzsession.com slash tour right now and donate. Thank you so much. This felt so... You know, just natural and com- completely unrehearsed. I am very comfortable with the microphone. Yeah, me too. See you later, Kate. Bye, Jason. I'm Bernie Crane. I'm John Crane. You're listening to the jazz session with Jason Crane, our dad. Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. This is episode 374, I think. I forgot to look before I started. Thanks to the Respect Sextet, they recorded the theme music to this show. They're online at respectsextet.com. Thanks to Dave Rabel for the logo. You'll find him at twitter.com slash Dave Rabel. Hey, a note about the All About Jazz widget, by the way. The uh, relationship between the jazz session and the All About Jazz, the All About Jazz, sure, why not, uh, is is over. Amicably, but it's finished. So actually, the widget won't be updated any longer. So if you've put the widget on your website, thank you very much for that. But you can actually take it off because uh, it will just show Maria Neckham for the rest of time, which might be all right, too. Please join the show. You can do that at thejazzsession.com slash join. And in fact, it is your membership, as you heard at the beginning, that will keep me alive while I'm on tour. Please review the show on iTunes. You can give it a star rating from one to five and also write a little review. You can follow me on Twitter at Jason D. Crane and find my poetry and my book at jasoncrane.org. Today's guest is the drummer Toma Fujiwara. He and his band The Hookup have a new album called The Air is Different, and it sounds like this.
My guest is Toma Fujiwara. He's a drummer and composer. He's been on the show before with his band, The Hookup, and their new album, which is called The Air is Different, is uh, what we're going to start by talking about. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Um, I want to start, if we can, with the cover of the record, and if you can talk about uh, the man whose picture is on the cover and, and how he came to be there. Yeah, that's a, a picture of my paternal grandfather, and... Um, Kind of how I came to decide to to have that picture on the cover was thinking about him after he passed away and realizing how much an influence he had on me and how much of an influence he had um, in kind of a nonverbal way. And what I mean by that is he didn't speak any English. My Japanese is far from fluent. Um, so a lot of our time together was spent in silence just kind of observing him and observing his mannerisms and how he carried himself and, and his energy. And I've, I guess I've always known how much of an influence he has on me, but, but after he passed away and, and spending time thinking about him, um, it was something that was important for me to express and to acknowledge. And I've always really liked that picture. That picture was from uh, 1992 and he received a, a medal from the uh, emperor of Japan and I've always, I've always really loved that picture. I feel like um, it, it's a, it's a great um, embodiment of of his spirit and his energy. And and I felt like it was also very um, uh, a great picture to have, you know, for the album cover and just really kind of grab your attention and and uh, and a way to kind of to honor and recognize him. So. Your grandfather, if I'm not mistaken, was a Zen Buddhist priest. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Now, uh, I also lived in in Japan for quite a long time and um, uh, knew some some Zen Buddhist priests who were much closer to what we might think of as like lay members of a community almost mm-hmm. than religious figures because they would take care of a temple, but they, you know, often had, depending on sex, had families and you know had a life outside or even other jobs sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, can you talk a little bit about the man your grandfather was and then what you see in you? that you think you've taken mm-hmm. from the way he was? Yeah, I mean, actually, um, he was also a superintendent of schools in, in his uh, kind of area, village, town. Um, so he's very involved in education. And, you know, he was very much uh, a regular guy, you know, with a family. He had uh, um, two kids, three kids, I'm sorry. He had my father and, and uh, another boy and another girl. And... You know, he was very much a, a family man and, and, you know, liked to hang out with us grandkids. And um, so, yeah, I mean, 
he kind of had those those two sides, but they didn't. They they seemed to to coexist very very gracefully and very naturally. I mean, I think I think kind of his a, a lot of of my a lot of my energy and my personality. I, I might not be able to pinpoint specific things, but a lot of that comes from him. Um, I feel like he was a very observant person, which is something that I try to try to uh, take from being around his energy and his 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 calm and his um you know kind of how he carried himself is you know i i don't know if i embody that or you know that's for other people to say but it's definitely something that i aspire to and something that i um that i really really value in terms of a way of of kind of carrying yourself in a way of of you know being being in this world and living your life can you relate that directly to how you act either on the bandstand or uh, you know, in a recording session or a rehearsal or other things that you can see in the way you try to hold yourself that hmm. you take into your professional life? That's, a, that's an interesting question. I mean, I, I definitely try to, to, you know, this is going to sound kind of new agey, but there's a certain energy of centeredness that my, my grandfather had and and I really try to to maintain that and try to um you know have a certain calm and a certain focus um you know whether it be on the bandstand or or in the studio and and I feel like that's that's kind of my starting point and you know from there I can kind of adjust to the situation you know musically you know reacting and interacting but also you know also if you're rehearsing stuff or if you're trying to figure out um, the best way to navigate this section or, or, or whatever. I'm, I'm trying to approach it from that standpoint of an openness and a calmness um, and, and a centeredness to, to kind of be accepting of, of, you know, whatever happens and process it from there as opposed to having too many, too many you know, walls or, or too much resistance to something before it happens. So in that context, um, talking about the compositions uh, that are on the air is different. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, this is the the second record by this band. 
there's been one personnel change, but for the most part, the, the band is stable and it sounds like a real band. Mm-hmm. So when you brought in your your either fleshed out compositions or ideas for compositions and taking into consideration what you just said, how much do you allow for those things to be shaped by the other personalities in the band? How much are you kind of saying, here's my vision and this is what we're going to play? Right. I mean, it's, it's always a balancing act. I definitely, um, I definitely bring in kind of, you know, fully, fully formed compositions. With that being said, there's obviously a, a, a pretty, uh, high percentage of uh, improvisation um, and also interpretation. And, um, you know, if people have ideas, I'll, I'll kind of open the floor, uh, open up the floor, so to speak, to, to suggestions. If there's a section that is not quite going how I might have heard it at first or, or you know, just something isn't, isn't quite right, I might open it up and, and see if people have suggestions, and, and usually people do, and, and I'll definitely take those into account. Um, so it's a, it's a little of both. It's a little bit of, of bringing the music, and we play it down, and, and people's natural personalities and approach to improvisation are going to influence it. And then sometimes it's a little more uh, of an involvement of their input where I, I really will say, you know, how do you feel improvising on this or do you guys think we should repeat this section or whatever? So it's a, it's a balancing act, definitely. I read, I can't remember if this was in press materials or where it was, but somebody referring to this band as your your take on the post-bop uh, quintet. And, I mean, I guess because the instrumentation, that's easy. But, uh, but I remember when I read it, I thought, oh, wow, I never would have thought that in a million mm-hmm. years. I just wanted to get your reaction to where you think it kind of fits in that lineage if it does. Um, I guess I, I really don't think about that at all. I mean, I, there's so much music that is influencing what I do, you know, a lot of, a lot of which I can't really pinpoint. Um, and yeah, I mean, I can understand that from, from the instrumentation. Um, even even that instrumentation isn't deliberate in terms of trying to stay within a, a particular lineage. It's it's more of a personalities of the musicians and and kind of a mix of of people that I want as part of 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 this music and less about um, kind of continuing on a certain path. Um, so yeah, I, I think about I don't really think about that that kind of genre definition sure yeah. uh in the last interview you gave very in-depth uh answers about how you had met each person in the band so i'll encourage folks to go back and listen to that so we don't have to tread over the same ground again uh so trevor dunn is now in the band can you say something uh about trevor and his playing yeah he's uh, obviously a great musician um someone that i've i've known for a while and and i guess i guess we played together um we were both subbing in uh mary halverson's uh, trio and, and quintet and um, had played together maybe in a few other contexts but um, he, he really brings you know first and foremost a strong personality to the music and just just really fits fits the band well and, and contributes um, a really personal sound to the band and uh, just for completeness sake will you just mention the names of the other folks who are yeah there's in the uh, Mary Halverson on guitar uh, Brian Settles on tenor saxophone and Jonathan Finlayson on trumpet. Can you tell me something about your compositional process? How do you write? Like even technically, how do you write? Do you write on staff mm-hmm. paper? Do you use uh, Finale or something like that? How does it work? 
Kind of all of the above. Um, I write using staff paper. I write using finale. Uh, I'll write um, kind of away from any musical instruments. I'll write from the drum set. I'll write from the piano. Um, I used to write more from the vibraphone when mm. I had um, when I had a set handy. So yeah, all of the above. What I like about that is I, I'll come up with different things depending on where I'm writing and what instrument I'm using or not using. The one thing is that it usually doesn't follow a straight line as much as I would like it to, as much as I'd like to start at the beginning and take my time and write and get to the end. So I'll start with an idea that'll morph into another idea. The first idea will get discarded. That second idea will actually become the third section of the piece. And then, you know, it, it kind of moves around like that and then gets fit together later um i have probably like a lot of musicians a big folder of scraps of ideas either stuff that i you know wrote down and never got to or stuff that i discarded you know during a previous process and then come back to so you know compositions also can can have sections that were written years apart um so yeah kind of all the above How do you how do you mine that uh, that folder of of scraps? How does that work? Um, frustratingly, <laughs> uh, com- composing is a, is a pretty frustrating and tedious process for me. Mm. Uh, I must say. I mean, practicing for me, I feel like I have. I feel like I'm I'm good at practicing in that I know that that doesn't mean I always can pull off what I'm trying to practice or that I get it right away or maybe even ever but I, I feel like I have good ideas on on systems of practice whether I need to learn someone's music or learn my own music or technical exercises or you know all that stuff I feel like I you know I, I know what it takes and, and the process that that would work best for that with composing it's you know it really I never know how long something is going to take I mean having deadlines for composing for me is is really challenging because there's it's, it's difficult for me to figure out how much time needs to be allotted to a composition. Um, and so it's a lot 
I'll, I'll at least try to start with a specific idea. And I would say that that idea survives to make it into the final piece maybe 10% of the time. Wow. So it's usually just kind of a spark to get me to sit down and start writing. Um, but yeah, it's a pretty... It's a pretty... Uh, probably from the outside, it seems like there's no method to the madness because I'll kind of have this scrap of paper here and, and go to the piano for, for this time and record it and then put it in finale and junk it and jot this down and you know but somehow it, it comes together eventually can you say a little more about writing from the drum set that's the one i have a hardest time kind of imagining what that would be like yeah i mean um a lot of that comes from studying with alan dawson where you had to um sing melodies while you did um different exercises mm-hmm. and that was to put it in a context of you know song and form and 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 um being aware of playing things that were related to the song you were playing so the thinking is if you can't play it while you're singing the song then it's probably something that that you know you shouldn't be playing to begin with and so i i do kind of sing and and hum different ideas while i while i play a rhythm um but i also use the kit as um as a as a tonal instrument and can kind of hear different shapes of of melodies on the toms a lot of times i'll I'll play the drums with the mallets and kind of hear different melodies that then i'll take over to the piano or put into the computer and and um and tweak a little bit and um do you tune the drums in any special way for that purpose or is it just the natural it's just kind of the natural you know high to low sure type thing and and um and kind of kind of thinking more in terms of melodic shapes and then combinations of, of, of notes. And, um, you know, also a lot of my compositions come from, excuse me, a rhythmic idea first. And so, you know, I can kind of play those on the drums and obviously I can access stuff a lot more easily on the drum set than on the piano. For this album, uh, the air is different. Did you decide, well, it's time to make another record, and so I'm going to write pieces for it, or did you begin accumulating pieces? And when you had enough for a record, you thought I'll document where we are now, or some balance of those? Uh, more the latter. I just, I've, you know, since I put this band together, I just, you know, regularly write music for it, and and as with the first album, we played all this music um, many times over the course of probably two years. I mean, when the first album came out, we were already playing some of these compositions on the second album. Um, I really like to play the music for a long time in a live setting and a rehearsal setting and really, um, you know, get inside it and make them personal before we record, as opposed to bringing in a book of music a week before the recording record, you know, rehearsing for a couple of days and then doing it. I just find that, um, you know, I, I really like an element of surprise and and, um, and chance taking in music, and so you know, a studio scenario doesn't always lend itself to that. So, as much as possible, I want to be comfortable and have the rest of the band comfortable with the music. So, when we get in the studio, we can really capture um, as live an energy as possible and really take some chances, as opposed to focusing on trying to get everything as perfect as possible because it's going to be this thing that is recorded and lasts and um so yeah we just record 
when uh, when the music feels ready. This may turn out to be a stupid question, and, and we can delete it. But um, with Mary Halverson as the chordal instrument, mm-hmm. she tends to do a lot of kind of bending of the chords and bending of the tones. And so, given that you're writing, you know, knowing she's the person who's going to be playing the music, mm-hmm. I wonder do you do you hear in your head that kind of like fluidity of the harmony? That yes, I'm writing this these chords here, but I know that they're also going to go in these kind of wobbly other places i'm not sure if that's a dumb question no not at all i mean i definitely i definitely write with these specific musicians in mind um that being said they they constantly surprise me which makes it fun but uh you know i have a good idea of of mary's sound and her approach and i know that you know if i write a certain chord that she might do any of a of number of things with it and also voicing wise unless i specifically spell out the voicing there's you know, many different ways she could voice it. So um, I'm open to that. I mean, if there's something that doesn't work or something where I need, you know, something very specific, then we'll work that out in rehearsal. But for the most part, you know, she always does the right thing with it. And um, I'm I'm trying to study a little bit more of a, of a guitar approach to harmony because I come more from the piano. Mm. And, um, you know, there are some subtle differences that, that I'd like to be stronger with so I can, you know, write better music for for uh, for her specifically, but, you know, for the guitar as well as the piano. Are you doing that by studying playing the guitar itself? Is that how you're... A little bit. You? I mean, just okay. kind of asking lots of questions. Sure. And <laughs> uh, just, just, just to understand the, the, the uh, kind of the mechanics and the physical layout of the guitar. Yeah. Um, which sounds like the approach, I mean, you're talking about writing for a, a quintet, but I mean, that's, you know, the approach an orchestrator might take, you know, to learn, well, how does a violin work and how does an oboe work and all that stuff so they can write in the proper ranges and for things that are comfortable for the instrument or particularly uncomfortable, intentionally uncomfortable. Yeah. 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 No, that's, um, that's something I'm, I'm always working on and just asking musicians, you mm. know, what, what works for them and what's feasible and what's painful and <laughs> all that stuff. <laughs> Uh, so we're talking about uh, the hookup primarily in this conversation, and there are some chances for folks to see the band live. Uh, can you mention those? Yeah, we'll be at uh, Douglas Street Music Collective on Saturday, June 16th at 8.30 p.m. And um, another thing I wanted to mention is, is a new collective trio that I have with Michael Formanek on bass and Mary Halverson on guitar. 
Um, we just put this together a few months ago. We're all writing music for it. It's been a lot of fun. And we're playing um, at the Rhythm in the Kitchen Festival on Saturday, June 2nd um, at 10 p.m. And that's a band called Thumbscrew, right? That's Thumbscrew, yeah. Talk about a little bit about that idea of a, of a collective trio. People use that word a lot, but how does it actually work in the mechanics of it? I mean, both there's everything from contributing music, but there's also like, well, we have to actually book gigs and, you know, those kinds of things. How yeah. does it work that way? Yeah, I mean, I, I really like it. I mean, I think, I think it's probably one of those things that when it works, it really works well. And when it doesn't, it, it doesn't work at know, all. People's <laughs> yeah. feelings get hurt really quickly. <laughs> um, you know, I, I feel fortunate to have had that situation now for several years with the 13th Assembly, with uh, Mary and Taylor Hobynum and Jessica Pavone. Um, and with Thumbscrew, it's, it's a similar thing. I mean, we all write music for it. We all are, you know equal contributors uh, artistically but then you know we're all responsible with um you know trying to book gigs for the group and and you know thinking of opportunities for the band whether they be you know gigs or, or recording or kind of thinking about the uh, the overall arc of the group um so that's been great so far i mean we we basically played together as the rhythm section in uh, Taylor Hobynum's sextet, uh, Michael Formanek was was subbing for Ken Filiano, and and we had a we had a really great time, and we decided we want to do some more playing, and and um, kind of found some some time that worked for us to write some music for specifically for this group, to rehearse it, you know, to get some gigs, and so we've, um, you know, as long as we're both really, as long as we're all really enjoying it and and wanting to be proactive about it. Um, we'll keep doing it and I'm loving it. It's, it's really fun. You know, uh, I mean this next question very sincerely, but you play in some of Mary's bands. Mary plays in some of your things. You guys both play in other collective groups. Um, and we could make that same, those same linkages with other people who are in each of those, all of those bands. What's the, what is the the point or the function of having all these various kind of subgroupings mm-hmm. of a you know kind of a small set of people? What do you get from these different combinations? I mean, I think that um, you know, obviously, the more you play with with you know with a certain band, but also with different individuals, the more of a you know musical connection you can make, and and the more I mean, you know, really to me, what I'm interested in is kind of that telepathic thing that 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 develops only over time and also um kind of that that trust um that you can really feel comfortable about and also feel comfortable taking chances with and so you know obviously with with mary or with you know taylor that i've been playing music now for almost 20 years and and with a lot of these people um it's really yeah it's just something that develops over time and over repetition and the great thing about playing in these different groups is a lot of times, or most of the time, it's different people's music. So you're really getting a chance to jump into someone's um, kind of personal approach to music. And so you have that familiar connection with, you know, some of the musicians in the group. But then there's also this new and fresh approach that's kind of, you know, guided by whoever's leading the group or whoever's composing the music for it. So it's a it's a nice it's a nice mix of of, of having a strong foundation, but also having some some new challenges thrown at you. Yeah, that's really great. Yeah, it sounds kind of like uh, 
like traveling with friends or something, going to a new place, but with someone you know, where you have something between you, but you're also experiencing new things. Yeah. At the same time. And it's great to tour with these people too. Cause yeah. It's just like you said, <laughs> you go to these new places, but you, you know, you got your, you got your crew with you so you can kind of roam around and explore and, and have a good time. Nice. I, I want to kind of bring things uh, back around full circle to your grandfather again. And just, did he ever get a chance to, to come to your shows or to, did you get a chance to play? Um, I think the only time, well, I used to, (laughs) I used to bring him videotapes of my, um, high school concerts. And, uh, so, you know, I'd put those on the VCR and I don't, I don't think, I I don't know how much of it he really understood what was going on. I mean, just musically, you know, this was high school jazz band or whatever and probably pretty terrible, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, I think he was happy to, to, to kind of get a little insight into uh you know what i was up to i would see him in the summers i would go visit in the summers so he he you know i'd bring him a video of a of a concert or bring him uh you know as a kid you know bring him some pictures i had drawn or something so i think he was happy to um kind of see what 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 i was up to but um you know he never really commented specifically on you know artistically what was going on i think Mm. i think he liked seeing me sitting at the drums having fun um one time actually when i was uh uh, performing in in stomp we did a tour in japan and we actually played in the the closest major city and and he and my grandmother came and that was really special to to have them there and get to see me get to see me perform and um so that was probably the only time he got to see me do anything live and uh that, that was a lot of fun that was that meant a lot to me my guest is Toma Fujiwara. The new album is called The Air is Different, and it's with his band, The Hookup. It's been great to talk to you again about this music. Thanks for coming back. Yeah, thanks for having me.
That's music from Toma Fujiwara and The Hookup from their new album, The Air is Different. I'm Jason Crane. This is The Jazz Session, sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. Please go to thejazzsession.com slash tour and support my world tour, which begins on June 1st. And also join the show if you can. If you can do both, that's great. Uh, but either is quite, quite, quite appreciated by me. Meanwhile, get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye. Bye.